1: Good morning, and welcome to Red Sea Roundup. Today is Wednesday, June the twelfth, and I'm your host Gene Wilhelm, and I invite you in. Uh, We will have later in the second part of the program we will have an interview with Trent Horn about his new book, Counterfeit Christ. Uh, The saint of the day today is actually there are 108 of them. It's the 108 martyrs uh, from the 108 Polish martyrs who were martyred during world war ii by the uh, nazis among those there were three bishops 52 priests 26 members of male religious orders three seminarians and eight religious sisters and nine na- lay people uh they were beatified by john paul ii on june uh on uh, june 13th 1999 in warsaw
0: mm-hmm. i think it's entirely appropriate to bring them up today gene um being only what six days away from the seventy fifth anniversary of D Day, I think we have a tendency to think about the the casualties and the and the deaths in World War Two being primarily on the battlefield, but actually there are more civilians killed in the war oh, than yes. there were combat uh, casualties. And certainly there were six million Jews killed, but there were many many Catholics, many many Poles in general. Yes, killed simply for their national and ethnic um heritage. So we have to remember all those who who perished in that in that conflict. And uh we celebrate 100, a of them who gave their lives because they refused to uh renege on their faith.
1: And we tried we, we tend as Catholics tend to think of uh of uh Edith Stein and sure. and uh and my mind just went blank on the priest father
0: Oh <laughs> the The patron of our Immaculata Society, Father. Um, why does Why does this happen on the air? Because we are both that way, Father. Father Saint Maximilian Colby. Yes, yes, yes.
1: Okay, and we have somebody with us on the line right now that we're going to talk to you about what's going on in Waco, Texas, in that yes, area.
0: That is our station director, Miss Stephanie Lee. Good morning, Stephanie. Good morning. Good morning. Good
2: morning, Thaddeus. Good morning, Jean. It's great to be with you. Yeah. Um, We have pretty—it's pretty quiet right now in Waco, but there's a a few things. Um, Sacred Heart Catholic Church in Waco is having a garage sale this uh, Saturday, June 15th. Um, Apparently it's garage sale season because a lot of the parishes have had garage sales um, this summer so far in June. Um, So they're having a garage sale on Saturday from 8 until 1, and it's going to be— a lot of different things you can choose from jewelry from clothes you know for your kids or for yourself or or whatever there's going to be a wide variety of things there um, if you want to rent a booth to sell what you have it's twenty dollars and you can call the church at seven five six two six five six that's seven five six two six five six and uh, Francis will hook you up with all of that and uh, we've also got Knights uh, of Columbus there going to cook their apparently delicious hamburgers that day. So that should be an mm. exciting day on Saturday.
0: Stephanie, would uh, you or Gene care to to speculate on why this seems to be garage sale season? I mean, you're right. There are just a bunch of garage sales going on it's because people... Uh, Want to want to clear out before the the holidays come, and they've got they're going to have to store all those toys and gifts in their attic, or
2: apparently, what is or it? They're just, just spring cleaning, summer cleaning. Maybe. I guess. Um, I don't know.
0: But I mean, if just it's honestly, spring cleaning, you're going to have to go up in that attic when it's super hot, and nobody wants to do that during the summertime. Clean it out, right?
2: No, they don't. They really, really don't.
0: Gene, any thoughts?
2: Uh, so we've. Uh,
1: well, I I'm not sure. One of. One thing that occurs to me is that there's a lot of work involved in, in these uh, parish garage sales and people tend to have a little bit more time. There are strong young backs at school that can help.
0: Indeed. So it's a labor to labor. It's driven by the labor market. I think so. Okay. Ma- I, that would a, be yes. my guess. That is a very good insight. Okay. Stephanie, take it away. What's next?
2: Um, next I would just like to, I found out some sad news. Um, Father Daniel Lou is leaving St. Peter's Catholic Student Center at Baylor University. Indeed, and he's been there a while. And I would just like to take this time to thank him for his services and his ministry, because he has really done a lot for those kids at Baylor. Why are they kids? Why am I calling them kids? But <laughs> students,
0: <laughs>
2: just because they're younger than me, and I'm. It's okay. Older.
0: They don't want to. They don't want to grow up yet. Anyway, they're still kids. You can call them kids. <laughs>
2: And uh, we've got Father Augustine from St. Mary's and College Station coming, and I think that's going to be a really good, really good fit for uh, St. Peter's. Yeah, Gene. Jean... I have not met Father Augustine perfectly or personally, but I have heard wonderful things, and I have heard his music, and that is wonderful as well. Yes. Uh, so, I just want to wish Father Daniel well and best of luck in all he has to do and keep, you know, going in his ministry. And um, I, we will welcome Father Augustine here with open arms at St. Peter's.
0: Cool. And Gene and has a personal testament for uh, uh, as, Father
1: as, Augustine. As a member of St. Mary's here in uh, College Station, I have to say that it is our loss and your gain of blessings to have Father Augustine come there. He— He's a tremendous homilist. He's very personable. He's uh, he's he's a very holy man, and um, he he just lays down his life for other people. And so it's a real blessing for you to have him there.
0: Wow, that's wonderful. Words of high praise, and I and I know that Father Daniel is uh, he's going to um, he's going to the cathedral in Austin, I believe, it's where he's yes. going to take over he's as going be the rector as rector there. So that is. Um, that's a big, big deal for him. I'm sure he's excited about that that opportunity. So, Stephanie, what I know what I'll... more? Anything more in Waco in terms of uh, specific events?
2: That is all I've got. Um, okay. The next big thing in is in West, but it's not until August the 11th. It's the big Feast Day Festival. Um, yes for the parish of St. Mary's Catholic Church of the Assumption. Mm-hmm. And it's huge every year at the Knights of Columbus Hall. So uh, there'll be lots of games for the kids and lots of food, of course, and uh, just a great time all around. So that's all I've got.
0: All right, well, and And anything else that is anything traditional for, for Waco in this time of year, in the summertime, that, that uh, people – should check out or that lo- people like to do the to while away those summer days.
2: Um I would just stay go inside. To daily
1: mass. <laughs> <laughs> go, go to <laughs> daily
2: mass. Well, stay and, inside. And go
1: to daily mass. One of the things that uh, that uh, people can do too is they can go to our dot radio.org website and go to resources and they can check the bulletins of the various parishes in that part of the world, as well as this part of the world and St. Peter's in Palestine uh, to see what's going on.
0: Sacred Heart in Palestine. Yes, sir. Sacred Heart. I'm sorry. That's okay. That's okay. Well, Stephanie, thank you for calling in. Go ahead. I I didn't mean to cut you off.
2: Oh, no, no, no. If there is an event, you can get a hold of me at 313-7282, or you can email me at stephanie
0: at org. That's right. That's right. This is our inimitable station director, Stephanie Lee, signing off from Waco. Last word for you, Steph.
2: Thank you, Thaddeus, for having me and Gene for having me.
0: Yeah, it's
1: good to have somebody to help out here once in a while.
0: All right. Stephanie, have a great day. We'll talk to you later. And... Keep things keep things in order up there in Waco. Don't let people get too out of control. Okay, too too crazy. We'll do. All right.
2: We'll do. That's my job.
0: Okay. Bye bye bye. Now we were talking about uh, We
1: were talking about uh, garage sales, Thaddeus. And there's one coming up at Saint Thomas Aquinas. I believe it's this weekend. Same hours as as uh, what Stephanie was talking about. Is that not right?
0: Yes, it is, Gina. It, it is coming up uh, very soon there in uh, College Station, Saint Thomas Aquinas. They. <clears throat> they have something rather uh, unique to the way they like to do things. at their their garage sale, I think, um, or at least it's not it's not common. the uh, The presale, the famous presale on oh, Friday, yes. June fourteenth, from five thirty to seven. You pay five bucks and you get in, uh, and you get first dibs on the on the merchandise. And you're also helping raise additional funds for the parish because things are doubled in price. So when you purchase, you're getting free, you're getting first pick, but you're also giving more. Uh, so it's a win-win situation. And then you've got your regular sale uh, the next day, Saturday, from uh, where is it here? Seven a.m. to twelve p.m. I believe. And the only other thing different this year is that there's going to be um, there's going to be a more of a restriction on. Um, what can be given and when because there's a lot of construction going on at St. Thomas so you can't start uh they held off donations um starting with June 3rd and you had to get them in by June 10th um by 8:30 p.m. and they weren't taking mattresses and car seats and books and TVs those are things they've taken in the past yeah they have and they they held off on that this year cuz they just don't have the room to accept those things um so that's that's June 14th, 5.30 to 7 p.m., and Saturday, June 15th, from 7 to 12 p.m. And it, it, one of the
1: things that, that I know from past experience uh, there is that anything that is unsold, I believe, is given to St. Vincent de Paul or someplace else that can use that. Uh, so uh, nothing goes to waste. But if you purchase it, uh, you're helping to support St. Thomas Aquinas. It's uh, it's really a good Good cause. Uh, one of the other things that's happening at St. Thomas Aquinas, for those of you who are in this area, uh, there are uh, – I think it's called Rogation Day Masses. This Ember, Ember week, Days. Ember Days, pardon me. I always got those confused as a child. I still get them confused. But it, the 1215 Mass today – thursday and friday are will be in the main church it will be a latin low mass mm-hmm. for those of you who would like to go to a latin mass mm-hmm. and so uh that's going on at st thomas this
0: this and week those, also. Uh, those ember days are especially for um praying for vocations okay. those ember days are especially devoted to the 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 vocation increase and uh now speaking of uh priests and vocations and the vatican we've got a special call from across the ocean can you hear me this is the this is rome calling isn't it
3: yes uh, the pope asked me to call y'all wow and send his uh i sent you the picture of the uh, papal audience this morning but i'm standing on the entrance to saint peter's
0: basilica Wonderful. Uh, it's
3: much later in the day today. I can't believe that I'm calling at the right time to be live on the radio. Yeah, it's about
0: 5. Hey, Gene? It's about Hello, 6 Judy. Uh, 6.12 there, 6.15 in the in the evening from the Vatican City. If you can't make out her voice, it's a little scratchy, a little uh, low. It's the great Judy Como calling from uh, outside of St. Peter's Basilica. I can't believe you,
1: you're missing your evening spaghetti
0: dinner to call us.
3: Well, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> there won't be another plate of spaghetti in my future.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Judy, tell us a little bit about when you got over there and what you've done so far, and maybe what's on the uh, what's on the agenda to yeah. come. Well, Real quick. we
3: left um, we left Houston uh, Friday, flew to Toronto, had a little six hour layover, and then our flight into Milan, where we got on a train and went to Florence. We were there for uh, three days, where we took a day tour fabulous tour of Siena mm-hmm. and then we went to a farm winery at San Gio somebody and uh had an amazing meal and then we went on to Pisa, uh where we did see the tower and my daughter Marion and I conquered the stairs and climbed up to the top it was amazing uh, Probably put in about eight miles that day. And, wow. And uh, yesterday, we took a hop-on, hop-off bus and sat on the top and went all over Florence, uh, saw many sites. The Duomo, incredibly, one of the most architecturally beautiful buildings on the outside, as some of these are on the inside.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And
3: then we took a train later in the afternoon, arrived in Rome last night staying at a real neat uh, hotel Dia and got up this morning uh pretty early and came on to Vatican City uh, sat in the papal audience uh very very close. Mm. Very close as the uh, Pope Mobile drove really close to us and uh had a nice uh bottle of wine and a plate of pasta for lunch.
1: Oh, I thought you had it there in the pl- the plaza.
3: <laughs> no, and then we uh, had about a three-hour tour uh, of the Sistine Chapel, and it's just so much to take in. Yes. And now we just finished uh, walking through St. Peter's Basilica.
0: Yep. Wow that, that well, picture we, you sent me of the Holy Father was uh I thought it was a professional photo and I, I didn't understand why you were sending it to me. Um yeah. because I, I blanked for a second that, that you were over there and then I realized, Oh, that's that must be a picture that she actually took. So good job on that yeah, shot. Yeah. You got really close.
3: Uh, Marion uh standing up and videoed it. We it it's just amazing. There's really no words to uh, describe all of that. We'll be here for another day. We'll travel to Sorrento. Mm -hmm. where uh, Then we'll travel to the Amalfi Coast and the Isle of Capri. We'll travel to Sicily, where we will go to uh, Cordiali, the home of my ancestors, (sighs) and be there for a day and travel back, go to Venice and then we'll be traveling home
0: on the 21st. I am so happy for you that you are going to get to set your feet on the soil that is that of your ancestors, the people who came yeah, over this, and gave you this life in, in our great country. You're going to go back to the old country. Uh, I'm so happy for
3: amazing you. amazing and pretty ethereal. ethereal uh, yes. Just, uh, my cousin from Dallas, her mother and my father are first cousins. Mm-hmm. We've been best friend cousins our whole lives. And now our daughters are here with us, along with uh, Kathy Court and her daughter. So we're just having a...
0: You make sure you bring some of, of that lifetime. earth back. You make sure you bring some of that earth back from there, okay? Don't forget to do that.
3: Uh, no doubt. No doubt. <clears throat> I got it. Well, thank y'all uh, thank- thank for you, Judy. me on the show this morning. And... Um, know that I'm carrying many intentions from the Bryan College Station area to all the holy sites that yes. I'm visiting, and uh, I want to thank all of our listeners for their support of the radio station, that uh, some of the things that I've heard and discussed uh, within the tours, I've been able to remember that I, the different shows and the, all the stuff that Catholic Radio has done for our Listening audiences, so uh, thank you, Judy. Really be Keep our listeners All in right, your go prayers,
0: go. our Immaculata Society, and the the radio in general. And uh, ciao, buonasera. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All
3: right. Ciao. Uh,
1: ciao. Bye.
0: That was a surprise. It was a total surprise. That literally got arranged on the fly. Right now, that that uh, that really tells you something about where we have gone in terms of communications technology just in the last fifteen since, years.
1: Since you said it was on the fly, I'm glad that Dennis didn't have a fly swatter to yeah. take care of
0: that. No, no, no flies of that
1: sort. Gene. Oh, okay. Uh, one other thing that's happening, and this is happening tomorrow, and this is in Brian also at St. Anthony's Church, they are going to celebrate the Feast of St. Anthony of Padua, and they will have a Mass at 6 o'clock in the church. There'll be a procession around the church property in which they will carry the uh, relic of St. Anthony that they have there in their reliquary. Yes, Yes. And I believe a a statue of St. Anthony and a new statue is going to be blessed and installed at the end of that. So that's something that's really...
0: Yes, come come out for that. Come, and uh, that is a First class relic, I believe. It it is. It, it it's
1: it's there, you don't have those everywhere. No,
0: they, it's a it's a very great honor for that parish and uh, makes it a makes it a, sh- a shrine, a pilgrimage spot.
1: And that shrine is that pilgrimage spot is open uh, every day, every
0: Tuesday. Yes. for sure. Yes, the church. Yes, so um, p- come to that at Saint Anthony's tomorrow evening, and um, so. We're going to go to break here, and uh, on the other side, we're going to have this great interview that you did with Trent Horn about his new book, Counterfeit Christ's. Correct. And there's and, a lot of those flowing around these days. Uh,
1: there are a lot of counterfeits of everything these <clears> days, <throat> aren't there? And so uh, we will be back in just a couple of a uh, few minutes, and we'll have Karen Trent Horn with us. Until then, enjoy. I've
3: seen Shoulders I can take scars and burden to all this I can
1: Good morning. I'm Gene Wilhelm, your host for Red Sea Roundup this morning. It's June 12th, and we are going to be interviewing here in just a second Trent Horn, who is a, a staff apologist at Catholic uh, Catholic.com, the Catholic Answers. So uh, good, good morning, Trent. How are you today?
4: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me.
1: It's so good to have you here. I, you've got a new book out called Counterfeit Christ. Uh, when, when was that published?
4: Uh, that was published uh, just a few months ago. I think it's my eighth book now, and it focuses on sharing with people who the real Jesus is and exposing distortions of Jesus, his identity, from among people who are uh, both religious and not religious.
1: And uh, your journey to, to doing this has been a while. You, you were not originally Catholic, and so would you tell us a little bit about yourself and what it means to be an apologist for those of us that may not totally understand what that means?
4: Certainly. Uh, my family's not Catholic. I was received in the Catholic Church in high school. I was befriended by Catholic uh, high school students at my, where I went to school. And then I proceeded to learn more about the Catholic faith and Christianity in general, did a lot of research, debate, you know, looking at debates, and books. Uh, Then finally I I became Catholic, but I still had a passion for learning about the faith and teaching people how to defend it, and that's the essence of what apologetics is. And so I've been doing apologetics on and off ever since then. That was back in 2002. Uh, But in 2012, I was received in uh, the—sorry, not received, I was brought on to the staff at Catholic Answers. We are an apostolate dedicated to explaining and defending the Catholic faith. Our website is catholic.com. And so I, I write books for them, articles, uh, produce videos. I'm a host on their radio show, and I have my own podcast, The Council of Trent, C-O-U-N-S-E-L. That's at trenthornpodcast.com. And what I do is just teach Catholics how to make a reasonable presentation of what they believe uh, to a culture that desperately needs the, needs the gospel.
1: Yes, it does, doesn't it? Uh, so what motivates you to, re- to write this book, uh, Counterfeit Christ?
4: Well, I had written a previous book, a little booklet called 20 Answers, The Real Jesus. And uh, so that was a booklet I wrote because I wanted to have something that uh, provided evidence for who Jesus was, that he really existed, that he was fully divine, and that he rose from the dead. And there's there's actually not a lot of Catholic books on that subject, I was surprised to find. Of course, that was just more of a little booklet. Uh, However... uh, after compiling my research and areas I've been writing on for several years, I saw the need to put it all together into one book that clearly explains who Jesus is and exposes all of those false understandings of Jesus that, you know, you will find among, you know, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Muslims, the non-religious atheists, and even some that Protestants have from time to time.
1: So were you, were you a Protestant before you became Catholic?
4: No, I wasn't. Well, honestly, I was just more of a non-religious individual. And then through my journey, I became Christian, but not Catholic. But then shortly thereafter, my reading of the Church Fathers really moved me to want to be received into the, the Catholic faith.
1: So what is your, what is your educational background that, that brought that about?
4: Certainly. Well, I have a bachelor's degree in history at Arizona State University, Uh, I mean, I did all, my conversion was was during high school, and then after high school, I went on to pursue more education. After my undergrad, I pursued a master's degree in theology at the Franciscan University of Steubenville, a master's degree in philosophy from Holy Apostles College, and a master's degree in bioethics from the University of Mary. So, uh, you know, I I don't mind going to school.
1: (laughs) Sounds like it. And, uh Uh, In my opinion, the University uh, Franciscan University Steubenville is probably one of the three or four most Catholic universities in the country.
4: Oh, yes. It's uh, it's a wonderful school. I was privileged to go there, study under great professors like Dr. Scott Hahn, and uh, to be able to go out and continue to build up people's faith and provide them uh, with the truth and also with techniques and means for sharing the truth with other people.
1: So that's uh, that led you then to Catholic Answers, or did you do something in between? That, and how did you end uh, up at Catholic well, Answers? Well, I was
4: working. I worked for Bishop Olmstead for the Diocese of Phoenix for oh, their did? Respect Life Office. Mm-hmm. I worked there for, for about a year and a half. During that time, I uh, was on a. I took some students to San Diego to a conference on marriage and respect life, and then I took them on a tour of Catholic Answers. And I was informed before I went there. The Catholic Answers was looking to hire new apologists uh, to come on board uh, for them. And so I kind of threw my hat into the ring, and we went back and forth for a few months, and then they they brought me on board. And so it was a, it was a real treat to do that.
1: Bishop Olmsted is a very solid bishop. Uh, were you there when he wrote Into the Breach?
4: No. Uh, well, I can't remember exactly when... Uh, he wrote that i i uh let's see i mean i i, think well, I have it that was oh that was
1: that was his is exhortation to man
4: uh so I, oh i'm sorry
1: that's his exhortation to man is what it means to be a catholic man which is
4: uh pretty much oh yes used. of course uh i mean i, I obviously yes, i've I read it uh that was um uh in 2015 uh I and i had left for catholic okay. answers in 2012 but I, I really did enjoy my time Working under him and the rest of his staff at the Dawson Pastoral Center, so it was a wonderful diocese to be a part of?
1: Yes, it is. Uh, we I had another guest here, uh, Father Anthony Tinker, who is uh, uh, Franciscans of the Holy Spirit, who have brought back the Franciscans on the reservation. Sir, he he does just absolutely wonderful work there.
4: So no, oh, yeah, yes, and uh, all of that I I highly support, and that's it's important. We need to have clerics and religious who are prepared to, to share the truth, and even when people, you know, frankly don't want to hear it.
1: Yes, and, and that brings us back to your book. A lot of the things that are in here uh, remind me of a saying that I heard, I think somebody was doing some preaching, and, and what I see in The Counterfeit Christ is, is something similar to this. Uh, he would say that a half-truth is like a half-brick. You can throw it farther and i think some of the things that we see in the counter, that i read in the counterfeit christ uh are basically partial truths about christ but it sort of goes off on the wrong end how would you what would be your comment about that
4: uh certainly for example take my my very first chapter uh, jesus is non-judgmental uh, people often say that jesus wouldn't judge people and now in the Gospels, Jesus does say, I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. And so in that sense, he did not come to the world merely to judge it and send everybody to hell. But it does not mean that Jesus did not come uh, for the purpose of judging and determining where we were spiritually and how far we had strayed from God, uh, that in order to effect a, a remedy for someone, you have to first judge how bad of a situation they are in. As I say in the book, Jesus's judgment is not like that of a harsh, legalistic uh, judiciary. It's more of a doctor who wants to give us a truthful diagnosis before he can give us the cure for, for what ails us.
1: That is so true. And if you, if you can't tell the doctor, if, if you have a physical ailment and you can't tell the doctor what's wrong with you, it's going to make it very, or what you, your symptoms are, it's going to make it very difficult for him or her to, to prescribe a cure.
4: That's right, and so that's why it's important to remember that the, how Jesus relates to us, how we relate to our faith. You know, you look in First Peter chapter five. Uh, Saint Peter says, "Of God, cast all your anxieties on Him, for He cares for you." He doesn't say, "Well, only tell those things you think are really important. Uh, don't don't waste God's time." He doesn't. He doesn't say that at all.
1: <laughs> no, he doesn't. So uh, it's it's really important that we are open with with God, and with Jesus in particular, uh, to let Him know what it is that is on our hearts.
4: Amen. That's why it's important to have a uh, a robust spiritual life, uh, to pray, and to also avail ourselves of the sacraments so that we receive Jesus in an intimate way on a frequent basis uh, in order to preserve ourselves and protect ourselves from the sins of this world.
1: Okay, so with counterfeit Christ, would you... Describe a little bit about how each chapter is structured, because it's it's a similar structure in each chapter uh, as to what you've done. And uh, it would be very helpful, I think, to our listeners to be able to hear what how you put that structure together. And, and like with 18 chapters, and it's not a very thick book. Uh, it's probably five, six, seven pages for a chapter. Uh, how did you structure that? And could and because it's very scholarly in what you've done. You've done a lot of research for this.
4: Well, I do try to make sure my books are, are thorough so that they can engage uh, the best arguments from the other side and uh, not leave people with a, with a shallow uh, presentation. So uh, the way the chapters are set up is that there are six groups of individuals. So you have, and under each of them, there are counterfeit Christ, so false representations of Jesus that are endemic to those particular groups. So the first group are the non-religious. They are people uh, who just the average person who doesn't care that much about religion, and uh, just usually they think of Jesus as either a non-judgmental buddy or as somebody who we we don't really uh, know much about because he's been lost to the sands of time, if you will. He's a legend. Mm -hmm. Uh, The next um, one would be the atheists. Uh, They say Jesus is a myth, or he definitely did not rise from the dead. Uh, After that, you have the uh, the other world religions. You have like Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, what they think of Jesus. The next group would be the quasi-Christians, as I call them, the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, who believe in Jesus, but not a fully divine son of God. Uh, next, you have the ideologues. You have people who want to say Jesus was a socialist or Jesus endorsed homosexual behavior. And so I look at those arguments and show how it distorts the biblical record. Uh, next, uh, I go finally, then after that, I go after some Protestants who, mis- mistaken, who mistook Jesus and say that, you know, he's like a prosperity preacher who wants us to uh, be be rich as opposed to being holy. So cover a lot of ground. In each chapter, I show how Scripture history exposes this counterfeit assumption in different ways.
1: I think one of the things that, that impressed me is that you'd actually researched all of these uh, doctrines of counterfeit Christ and uh, went to authors who supported those counterfeit Christ definitions first, and then you built on the argument from uh, the Catechism, from Scripture, from the Fathers of the Church, and so forth, how how that was not true, and what the truth really was, because uh,
4: yeah. well, yeah, I think it's an, I think it's important that when we engage others, when we engage other opposing opinions, in order to be taken seriously, we can say, well, here is this opinion, and here is this individual or group that holds this opinion and be able to cite it to show one, that it is an argument people hold. And two to say, we've looked at it, we looked at the evidences for it, but here are the problems with that, uh, with that proposal. And so that's what I do in counterfeit Christ that I go through and say, well, here's the people who say Jesus was merely a, a, a myth or that Jesus is just a human prophet. And I go through and say, Hey, but here's the other things they do not uh, cover in their book. Uh, so, uh, you know, going through over and over again to show that other opposing views may appear to be impressive at first, but then upon examining them closer, we see the um, we see the flaws in their thinking.
1: Well, my guest today is Trent Horn, who is from Catholic Answers, and uh, we're talking about his new book, Counterfeit Christ. Uh, normally, I invite you to call in, but this is a pre-recorded uh, interview, so that's not going to be possible today. One of the things that you said, Trent, that that really impressed me just a minute ago, is you talked about their opinions, and so what, you're, what you, what I think what you didn't uh, emphasize there so much is the difference between the opinion and the truth. Uh, mm-hmm. In your what you were saying, would is that did I mistake what you were trying to say? Oh no,
4: I agree that many people, when you look at these counterfeit Christ, almost always what happens is that these are the results of various opinions people have about Jesus, presuppositions that they bring to their research about the real Jesus. And then they, they jam that into the text, and they turn Jesus into a kind of ventriloquist dummy, so to speak, uh, that, that speaks their own views, rather than uh, looking at the text and just letting Jesus you know, speak for himself, so to speak.
1: So... What, what would happen uh, if someone got this book or or why would someone want to buy the book or wh- what what would be the reason why somebody would want this book in the house uh, I, I found well, it I think
4: one re- what would be um, why they would want a book like this is because uh, it helps them first and foremost uh, to learn about who um, who Jesus is. So, you know, we, have, we hear about Jesus in Sunday school stories, but to get the full catechesis, Jesus is God from God, light from light, true God from true God, knowing who he is, what he taught, uh, and also what the first Christians believed about Jesus. And then from there, to be able to have intelligent answers for people who claim, oh, well, the real Jesus was like this, or uh, the church has misinterpreted who Jesus is, then that way you've got some solid answers to give to others.
1: I, I, it struck me also that when the missionaries knock on the door, the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons in particular, uh, if if someone reads those particular chapters, you have got a way to uh, answer uh, what they're telling you and tell them where they're wrong, in a very polite way, of course.
4: Right. And it, what I do in each chapter is that I, I show um, – uh, I put forward. Well, here are some uh, evidences from scripture. You can share this Bible verse, or here's something from a historian. What I often try to do is uh, say, and here is what uh, even non-Catholic and non-Christian historians say about Jesus to show that this isn't just a you know a Catholic view. This isn't just what we believe by faith, but this is evidence that even people who don't agree with our faith will still say, well, here. Is certainly what G- what Jesus said and believed, or that the first Christians definitely believed he was God, even if modern academics don't hold to that view today.
1: And that's true. And and because of the eighteen chapters, uh, it's a book you could have too when you have a, a get into a discussion with someone at work or in the neighborhood about, uh, for example, uh, here in Texas we have a a preacher of the prosperity gospel that. It's very famous, and just and then a lot of people uh, fall for that. For example, so to counter that particular thing, uh, when you get in that conversation, I would see that your book would be something that somebody could go to that particular chapter and refresh memory or get some some things to be able to handle those discussions in the future. Was that your intent?
4: A- absolutely, to be able to provide them with here are evidences from scripture to put forward to say, well, you people say Jesus said this, but here is what he actually said about this, or here's what the Bible actually says, or this is what we can know from history to know that Jesus was a real person who lived and walked the earth just like you and me, and this is something we can know from just the facts, even if you are not religious. And so that's why I go through each of these chapters in a, metic- in a meticulous way, and I do so not in a way that's easy to read, in a way that is easy, the chapters are short, and provide memorable ways of, of understanding these subjects and being able to respond to others about them.
1: And you also give uh, have uh, a lot of notes as to where to go to the source materials that you used for these particular uh, chapters on each one, including some of the source materials are from, for example, the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons themselves and, and some of the other Folks that have these particular types of opinions about who Jesus is.
4: Yeah, exactly. So that that is why uh, I look at, for example, the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, magazine, like the Watchtower. I look in the Book of Mormon and other Mormon uh, writers to see what they say. And and once and once again, uh, that is why, in, in the spirit of being intellectually honest, to show here is the other side. Here is here are their best arguments. Uh, but here's ultimately what's wrong with them.
1: If you had to rank the uh, counterfeit Christ that are around today, I mean, they're all around today. Which do you think is probably the most prevalent of the counterfeit Christ in our in our country in particular? Um, I'm sure there are, it, it may be around the world, but in our country in particular, what do you think is the most prevalent counterfeit Christ that is there?
4: Um, you know, I think uh, probably the first chapter of my book sums up the most prevalent one, and that is um, – That is the view that Jesus is um, just your non-judgmental buddy. He is somebody who doesn't care about sin. He just wants you to be happy. He doesn't care about holiness. He just cares about your personal fulfillment in life. And that Jesus loves you just the way you are and doesn't want you to change. And there's a half-truth to that. Jesus, of course, loves you the way you are. He always loves us and desires our good. The problem is we don't always desire Him. So Jesus wants us to turn to him and to turn away from sin. And so Jesus loves us, and because he loves us, he doesn't want us to remain as we are. He wants us to repent, to to engage in metanoia, the Greek word, to be of another mind and to turn away, to make a different path in life towards goodness and towards God. Uh, And so, but in order to do that, we can't do that on our own strength. We need God's help to be able to accomplish that. And that is why Jesus died on the cross, to atone for our sins and give us access to God's divine life to be able to make that possible.
1: But there's, it's very difficult for us a lot of times to want to do that metanoia, that turning around, uh, uh, when we, and we don't even want to admit that perhaps we might be on the wrong pathway and need to go back in the fork in the road and take the other fork, isn't it?
4: That, that's right, and so that's why we have to be able to humble ourselves before the mighty God Uh, the king of the universe, who became man. And so that is why we have to grow in intimacy with him to be able to do that. And that's why we talks about how uh, we can do that, first and foremost, by knowing who Jesus is, knowing the Jesus whom we are to draw ourselves towards.
1: But that's tough, too, because that means that I have to put forth some effort to be able to learn out who Jesus is.
4: Well, good things uh, Good things come to those who seek them. Jesus says, seek and you shall find. Uh, and he's not elusive. He also says in Revelation, I stand at the door knocking. Uh, yes, and he so does. the question is, I think it's Revelation 3.20. The question is, are we going to let him in? And so I wrote this book so that we can kick out from the house all the other false views of who Jesus is, so we can let, allow the real one to dwell in our hearts.
1: And sometimes uh, what I have realized as I've grown older is that uh, there can be a lot of rubble in our lives that hides who the true Jesus is because and it 's some of it is is just out and out trash, and others of it is composted and and it 's sometimes difficult to find the gems beneath all that rubble
4: Yes, it certainly can be because there are so many people who want to present jesus. Um, uh, for their own aims and their own devices, uh, whether they be Muslims who say Jesus was a prophet who believed in Muhammad <laughs> because they want you to believe in Muhammad, uh, atheists who say Jesus never rose from the dead because they don't want you to be Christian, uh, or, uh, Protestants who say Jesus didn't die for everybody because they want you to be a Calvinist who doesn't think that God really wants all people to go to heaven. Mm. Uh, so there, there's lots of people who will, who will twist that. And that's why we have to be able to call them on the carpet when they do that.
1: Uh, uh, what which chapter of these 18 that you wrote did, did you find the most, inform- well, what did you learn the most from when you were writing these? I mean, there are probably one or more of them, you probably found out a lot more than you did with the others. I mean, some of the things that you wrote, you probably didn't know before you started doing research and writing.
4: Uh, well, one chapter that was helpful to write was I wrote about the Jewish view of Jesus and got to do a bit more research on modern Jewish views of Jesus. So I was familiar with, uh, with views of Jesus among medieval and classical Jews, uh, but not among uh, modern Jews, and half my family is Jewish, of course, so it hits a bit close to home. Uh, but to see that many modern Jews are actually quite fond of Jesus in comparison to classical and medieval Jews who weren 't uh, and so in in seeing that, they like Jesus, they just don 't like Christians and they claim that Christianity distorts the real Jesus and so I go back and show how uh, jesus 's identity as a, a faithful Jew who fulfilled the law doesn't conflict with uh, Christianity and bringing all people, Jew and Gentile, into the New Covenant.
1: Yes. Uh, going back to the question about the counterfeit Christ, you were talking about the the, the buddy Jesus or the good, good guy Jesus uh, that you think is most prevalent in our country. Do, do you find that also the most prevalent in the Catholic Church, or, or is there some other counterfeit Jesus that you find more prevalent in the Catholic Church?
4: Honestly, no. I think it's one of the ones that is most uh, uh, prevalent. It's one that I think is extremely prevalent in the Catholic faith. In the book, I tell an anecdote about how I went to a Catholic high school to give a presentation to a group of teachers there, and they took umbrage at my uh, discussion about how the use of contraception or abortion are grave matters that require confession. And so they, they didn't agree, and this is at a Catholic school, and they told me Jesus would not be that judgmental uh so it's it's something that is just as common within the church as it is outside of it.
1: And you find that, that that's also the most prevalent one among our non-catholic christian brothers and sisters as well.
4: Uh probably that along with the idea of the legend saying that Jesus is we just can't really know uh who Jesus is uh you know that the gospels are written long after uh events they purport to describe and so we can't trust them. Uh, and then that allows uh, people to fill in the blanks with the Jesus that they think exists, uh, rather than than who Jesus really is.
1: And that's the same with with the non non Christians. Uh, it's that's who they would like Jesus to be for the most part. I mean, probably more prevalent than anything else.
4: Uh, right. That um, that's uh, exactly uh, what I what I was about to get at. That when we go through these different um, religious belief systems, non-religious belief systems. It's so funny. So many people say, how can you pick one religion out of any other? And there's, there are all, there's so many religions. And I say, well, actually, all of them have one thing in common. They have a view about who Jesus is. So uh, if I know Jesus rose from the dead, for example, then I know I can't be Buddhist, Hindu, Islam, Muslim, atheist. I can't be all these things because they deny that very fact about God becoming man. So by figuring out who Jesus is, you radically narrow the scope in figuring out what is the fullness of God's revelation.
1: Okay. That's, that's true, isn't it? That's very true. You, you, can't, you can't be a Buddhist and a Catholic both, although
4: I No, some. you can acknowledge what is true and holy in Buddhism or in other religions, but you can't embrace them as the fullness of God's revelation because they deny the most important part of that revelation, which is that God became man.
1: And then, true, that's, that's, that's the key, isn't it? That God became man, he wrote, He died, and rose from the dead, and he sent forth his Holy Spirit to, uh, to breathe life into God's people as a church.
4: Right. Amen. And so that's why in Galatians 4, four, Paul says that God sent his Son in the fullness of time to be born of a woman, born under the law. Uh, the letters to the Hebrews says we have a high priest Jesus who identifies. He can identify with our weaknesses. He himself was tempted like us, but did not sin. And so we we are capable of living the same way. We are capable of imitating Jesus. Saint Paul says in First Corinthians eleven one, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. But once again, you have to know who the real Jesus is, because otherwise you're going to be imitating a fraud, and you're going to be worse to the wear in, in doing so.
1: But well, do, do you is there one of the counterfeit? Christ that you think is more uh dangerous than the others that 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 you uh list in your book uh the I mean the first one is obviously very dangerous because you don't take Jesus seriously, but is there one that other the other ones that is uh, very dangerous particularly for Catholics to uh
4: well one that's dangerous for Catholics uh that can lead them away from the faith that I've seen the very last chapter. I talk about um, I talk about the anti-Catholic with no face. I know that's kind of a funny title. That's a reference to the fundamentalist Jack Chick. Yes. Uh, he used he passed away like a year or two ago, and it's a reference to these tracks that will go out making out to seem like Jesus condemned Catholics as idolaters and for going to mass, that you should just pray the Jesus prayer. And Catholics who don't know a lot about the biblical foundations of their faith may be tempted to think that Jesus just wants them to believe in, you know, salvation by faith alone. You don't have to go to mass. You don't have to go to confession. Uh, They can be really tempted by that to leave leave the church over it. So that's why I want them to see the real Jesus wanted us to believe not just in him, but in the church that he founded and gave to us. Uh, that was built upon the authority of the apostles and their successors.
1: And that's that's kind of tough to do in our environment uh, today, where there seem to be so many people trying to draw Catholics away from
4: their faith. Uh, right. I mean, you don't see it as much. Back in the 80s and 90s, you saw it a lot more. From Protestants who want from megachurches who wanted to save Catholics and get them out of the Catholic faith. Nowadays, it's almost like Catholics and Protestants have to work together against a culture that is that's so backwards now. Uh, but you, you still see it from time to time, and we get calls all the time on Catholic Answers Live about it. So that's why I wanted to make that kind of the send off chapter of the book.
1: What do you think is the reason that that the counterfeit Christ have? have Infiltrated into the Catholic Church, and i don 't know like I say I can 't speak for the other countries, but I know in our country that that there you even in the Catholic Church uh, among the, the faithful in quotes, there are a lot of uh, ideas about the counterfeit Christ where they accept them.
4: Why do you think that's happened? Well this has happened since the beginning of the church's history I, I mean in the fourth century, the Aryan heresy denied the full divinity, uh, Christ's full divinity. Uh, and many bishops in the East had succumbed to it. There's that phrase, Athanasius Contramundum, Saint Athanasius against the world. Uh, when much of the empire had fallen to the Arian heresy, just a few holy people had to be there to stand up to it. That uh, sin and the evil one will always try to lead us away from Jesus. And what better way to lead people away from Jesus but to give them an imitation Jesus in its place? Because people won't just leave Jesus, they want someone else to be able to go to and so that imitation is a crafty way to do that. So it's a challenge that has faced the church. And as I show in my book, many of the heresies that I address have precursors and forebears uh, all throughout the church's history, even going back all the way to the time of the apostles.
1: So what you're saying is there's really not a whole lot that's new. It's just uh, repackaged.
4: Right. Uh, yeah, there there is um, not a lot. Uh you know, Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. And so these same objections, I call them zombie objections. They keep rising from the dead, uh, not just about Jesus, but about our faith in general. And so we have to, every generation has to rise up to slay them once more, so to speak.
1: Trent, what are your future plans? You've got this book written. Uh, have you got another one in the works that it's coming about? In the near future or over the next year or two?
4: Yeah. Well, I'm working right now with a Catholic economist on a book called Why Catholics Can't Be Socialists. So it takes a look at the church's economic theories uh, and shows on morality when it comes to economics and the common good why Catholics can, why for the past 150 years the church has condemned socialism and Catholics cannot accept it.
1: Why? Where? When do you think that that's going to be coming out? Do you have any projections? Uh,
4: hopefully uh, early next spring.
1: Early next spring. So that would be a good one uh, based on a lot of things that are misinterpreting some of the things that Pope Francis is saying.
4: Yes, that, that's certainly the case.
1: Uh, let's talk a little bit about where you can get your, your books. Uh, actually, you can Most get- Certainly. My
4: book is available at shop.catholic.com and uh, you can get it there. You can get it at online book retailers or a Catholic bookstore. The book is called Counterfeit Christ, and the best place to get it, though, is probably at shop.catholic.com.
1: And that means that more of the money from the sale of the book goes back to a good Catholic cause, too.
4: Absolutely.
1: I've got one last question. We're just about out of time. Jesus asks the disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter answers says that he's the Messiah. But... Uh, you know, what? What? How, what? Do we, who do we say that we Jesus is? is the, isn't that a question that we need to ask ourselves? Who do you, that Jesus is asking each of us, and we need to answer, who do you say that I am?
4: Absolutely. We need to be able to say, well, first, there's just understanding the intellectual content of who Jesus is, that he's truly fully man, fully God, the eternal second person of the Trinity who's become man, died, atoned for our sins, and rose from the dead so we can have eternal life. But then who is Jesus to us? Is he the Lord of our life? Is he someone that we give uh, unwavering uh, allegiance to? Or is he merely just someone, just one other person we consult, but we're the king of our lives? So the question is, is Jesus the front and center of our life, or is he off to the sideline? We have to ask, who do you say I am uh, to Jesus really every day?
1: And your book helps to answer that question for each of us.
4: Absolutely. Uh, So that's why the book, I wrote it. And I believe we'll help people to answer that question uh, with a a very healthy amen to letting Jesus be the Lord of their lives and to fully give themselves over to him.
1: My guest today has been Trent Horn, whose new book, Counterfeit Christ, is available through deathcatholic.com. And I really appreciate your being here, Trent. Is there anything you'd like to say as one last thing to our listening audience before we have to go?
4: Uh, I would just say that I hope the book uh, blesses you, uh, and that if you are interested in uh, more content to help you learn about your faith, uh, my podcast is a great place to go. That is at trenthornpodcast.com
1: Okay, thank you, Trent, so much. And that, that wraps up another Red Sea Roundup. And uh, remember, when choosing between the values of heaven and the values of earth, always round up. see
2: you up this dead man walking shake off rumors and
3: talking